1: Really looking forward to this podcast today. We have a couple of authors on um, and they have a new book out called Lead Together. And that really pricked our interest because um, a lot of the principles that they share in the book, I think, are really suited to our audience. And we have Susan Masterfield, and we also have Travis Marsh on the call today. However, there are three authors of the book and the other one who's not with us today is uh, Brent Lau. So they are the authors, they're also coaches with more than 50 years of combined experience and they help um, founders and leaders really unlock the human potential of their teams and that really speaks to the people that listen to us, Michelle, because it's all about creating high-performing teams. They've also worked with groups like Blue Ant Media, Jack.org and Bullfrog Power and to What they've done is to really help build collaborative cultures and help them scale um, sustainably, which is so important in this this climate. Uh, Really excited to talk about their new book, which is called Lead Together. And what it does, it explores their beliefs that an invested, empathetic leadership style really has the power to transform an organisation. And don't we know it? Um, it also explores topics such as what happens when the current climate begins to fail and individuals revolt against a lack of opportunity or and I thought that was really interesting when pandemics mushroom because of lack of clarity, unity, or cooperation. So they must have had a um, seeing eyeglass when they wrote this book. Also in researching the book, they interviewed um, uh, an, you know a range of leaders, best thinkers around the future of work. And they developed and embraced five core principles. And one of the core principles that I thought was really interesting was psychological safety. And so we're going to ask them to talk about that. And they also unpacked the leadership role or the role of leaders. And they came up with six necessary roles of leaders. And one of them was the community uh, orchestrator. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to introduce you and come on in. Hi, Travis. Hi, Susan. Welcome.
2: Thank you so much for having us. We're so excited to be here.
1: Hi, Jan. Hi, Michelle. (laughs) So um, when I was reviewing your book and some of the research that you came up with, it is such um, a, um, a, a really deep insight into what it takes to make an organisation work, but also the role of the leader in the organisation. So a couple of things that prick my interest is the empathetic leadership style. And so what I'd like to get from you is what does that look like? So for the people who are listening to us now who have been given feedback that they're too task-focused and it's all about the logic and structure and they need to develop that empathetic side, what would a empathetic leadership style look like?
2: Yeah, thank you so much. I love love the idea of leaders actually wanting to develop and work on themselves, right? Like wanting to take that feedback that they're getting and improve and say, how can I come and be a little bit more caring and a little more uh, curious when it comes to the team? I think a lot of it is tapping into that innate curiosity that a lot of us have. And then we turn off so much in our business Lives, right? We're told that that being that judgmental self, being that critical evaluator is crucial. And that can have a place in some times, in some situations, right? When you're deciding between two options about things, that's great. But people are far more complex than that, right? They feel how you feel. And uh, one of the things that we say in the book is, right, you're, you can be in one of two states. You can be either in that judgmental state or that curiosity. So if you're finding yourself in that evaluative state, how can you switch on and what can you get curious about? Why, why is this person coming to me with this? What have they already thought about around this? Where might they also get advice? How could I support them in growing and developing and be the person that they want, All right? What do I, what do I care? And why do I like this person as a person? And any of those things that you can touch into, uh, in the moment when your brain automatically wants to jump to judging the idea because that's what we're trained to do so often, uh, is one of the things that so many leaders can build a skill towards that's often underdeveloped in so many of us.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, I love that, Travis, that um, fact of asking questions and being open to um, exploring as opposed to interrogating. So it's that mindset shift, isn't
2: it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So the other thing that I was really interested in are the principles that you developed based on a lot of the research that you did when you, um, when you brought together, you know, the, the three authors to create this, you know, it's such a, um, a, a well-crafted but also a deep exploration of what it takes to um, lead together, you know, that collaborative leadership And one of the principles that you talked about was psychological safety. Would you like to share um, some of the research or some of your insight into that and why it's important?
3: I mean, I believe that uh, we need to create the conditions for everybody in the organisation to feel, feel free from coercion and potential punishment for speaking their truth and being able to name what they're saying. And if we're not able to do that, we're shutting down the potential and the innovative capacity of our organizations. And it's also easier said than done because mm. the way that we've been taught since school um, is this kind of coercive top-down um control uh, that our teachers had and now our bosses have. And uh, it's it, it can engender a tremendous amount of fear and really shut down our sense of not only feeling like we can be heard, but wanting to be heard because there's a risk in that. <clears throat> so creating the conditions and rituals around um creating the safe space to actually really um, share more than that little, narrow, rational, potentially masculine part of ourself, um, not only in the relational field and to build our relationships and our teams, but also as a perspective on problems or um, opportunities.
1: Thanks, Susan. Um, yeah, we're, we're very big on creating um, uh, psychological safety and totally agree that the leader does create the conditions and the environment in order to foster psychological safety. And so if I'm a, a leader listening to this podcast, what are some of the things that I could be doing differently or dial up or um, start to experiment so that I could create more psychological safety within my team?
3: Well, the easiest, uh, the easiest thing, and the thing that we probably recommend is the sa- the safest and easiest thing to try um, is just the concept of checking in. So, uh, at the start of a meeting, before just jumping into the content of the agenda, just taking time to go around the room and asking a simple question: How are you feeling today? What are you bringing here? Is there anything you need to let go of or talk about before we jump into the meeting? And that starts to bring the opportunity for people to really share a different perspective. Uh, We can get a sense of where the energy is in the room, where potentially the exhaustion or the distraction is in the room, and we can start to then uh, figure out from from that perspective um, and really lean into our interdependency as a team and um, work from that perspective and 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 it, it it's 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 a common it's a common experience, right? It's not like you're asking a, a tricky question about somebody's education or history. It's just about like literally how you feeling right now.
2: To mm-hmm. uh, build on that as well, right? Like that's a great practice starting off. It's one that everybody can can start and take. And I also hear a lot of leaders say like, "Oh, hey, I want feedback from others, from those around me." And then they'll go and they'll ask for it and then they'll get it and they'll have some immediate back of their own and saying like, oh, well, you probably didn't understand the other uh, place I was coming from. <laughs> right. It's, it's common. It's natural. And so if you're going to go ask for some feedback, like I uh, wait and pause and take it in and take the other uh, chance to get all that they're offering you and that gift of feedback and um, then, or use a structure that allows everybody to talk in a fair sort of way. And Susan, you've got some ideas on that yeah. as
3: well. Well, I do. And I just wanted to jump on that. Um, it, it, please, 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 leaders, stop doing annual performance reviews. Um, a year is way too long to wait to uh, actually have conversation with your team members about um, what what they're doing really well at, what their developmental edges might be. Please, please schedule in regular conversations at the team level and at the individual level to really sink into this being more of a, uh, a co-relational opportunity for uh, growth and to breed success.
1: You are speaking our language, um, and it, you know, which is very heartening because all the research shows what really works. You know, like when we have a look at businesses that are going really well, whether it was before COVID or not, it was the ones who were doing those check-ins, they were having the regular one-on-one conversations, they had really input, you know, uh, good structures around role clarity and, um, you know, built in psychological safety at the foundation, you know, when they were, you know, looking at teams, they had um, that as a, an important foundation, you know, to build trust, etc. So it's wonderful to hear that um, from from both of you. And also, Travis, you know, when you talked about feedback, receiving feedback, that is something that Michelle and I often talk about. And um, you have to be prepared to receive that feedback as well. Yeah. So, just on the feedback, was there anything else that you would want to share around feedback that the research um, brought up?
2: Um, there was so much, and I know Susan's going to have some uh, some bits to add to this as well. Uh, so I'll try not to uh, to steal too much of uh, her amazing insights. And I would say one of the uh, the most intriguing things that I did learn from. Susan was there's a slew of different ways to do feedback and you don't always have to follow the the same prescribed path and one of the the easiest things to do is actually just ask people how they like to receive feedback even that simple question opens up people so much more it can be like a a light switch changes for somebody and going oh I've got some choice and some autonomy in this situation and some control over how this might happen. And it's like, Oh, actually, I don't want to receive that right now or catch me on a, uh, uh, on a good day. And today is not a good day or whatever it might be. You know, some people are that uh, direct and, uh, uh, blunt and just give it to me straight. Don't, don't hold back. Um, and all of that is fine. We all have different experiences. Um, uh, from our previous lives that we are all bringing into the other uh, situation.
3: Yeah, as Travis noted, I have very strong opinion- opinions about this. I think that um, in my experience and my lived experience, the the reality a- about feedback is if you are illuminating somebody for f- something for your colleague um, about something that you see that they're doing that you don't agree with or that you think can be better. It's coming from your perspective, your very subjective perspective of what good is and what good looks like. And uh, another way to look at it is you're articulating, uh, you are, when you're giving feedback, you are articulating an unmet need of your, uh, from, from you, right? So you're articulating this un- unmet need, having the recognition that you're doing that is really, really important because we are meaning making projection, making machines and we are experts at filling in the gaps um, from our own perspective. So that's one thing to be, be um, really careful and cognizant of. A, a framing for, for feedback that I really appreciate is this idea of mutual curiosity. So, Michelle, in that meeting, when um, I noticed that you were quite distracted, I'm distracted, I'm really curious about what was going on. So you see what I did there rather than saying, Michelle, you're totally distracted. It was completely putting me off. Um, you need to know about this and it's not good enough for me to say, Hey, I noticed you're a distraction distracted. What's up? Is a completely different framing an invitation into a conversation that can help fill, fill in those gaps, because I'm sure it's not about me. Um, there was something else going on for you in that moment. Um and yeah, just framing it as something to be curious about together. I think there's a long way to building that mutual trust, um, stopping making things up, yeah. and um, creating the conditions for trust and safety.
1: Yeah, because you're not going in with a judgment. You know, you're going in with that. Mm, I wonder, you know, what what is actually happening there. And the word curiosity keeps coming up in all of our conversations. And um, when we've actually interviewed leaders as well, that's one of the absolute um, skill sets because it's a skill because you've got to practice because we're so, like you were saying, Travis, so um, uh, wired to look at a problem and a solution in a certain way as opposed to being a little bit more open and broad and a little bit more, you know, flexible and seeing, you know, the the whole perspective. Um, I wanted to touch on some of the necessary roles of leaders when you, and just unpack one of those um, roles. So one of the roles that you talked about was the, um, I think it was the communication orchestrator in the roles. Can you just share with us um, what that looks like and why is it so important?
2: So one of the things that's happening nowadays is information is flowing much more quickly, right? Mm -hmm. Many people have access to things they never had access to before. We can find out salaries for any position uh, in our company, otherwise on Glassdoor. We can find out what the customers think of our company, regardless of what role we're in through Yelp or whatever else, or G2. And because of that, the place where that, that free flow of information is lagging the most has actually been inside the organization. And a lot of that's changing, right? The companies are going to more transparency, uh, some uh, because they recognize the uh, the power in giving more context to more people, and some because they, they have no choice. Uh, information is just continuing flying around. But with anything, if you do it more consciously, you can get better results. If you can say, great, how can we open up information? How can we uh, share things and... Uh, just a common one, right? A lot of people are moving on to to Slack, especially COVID threw a ton of people into work remotely that didn't have had that experience before or had to do it much more dramatically. And a lot of people's initial instinct was to go and lock down a bunch of channels and saying like, "Oh, it's just um, me, Jan and Susan having this little conversation." But instead, if you can go and make more of the other channels open, what you find is most people. Aren't going to jump in and comment and uh, try and derail this or that. Um, often they, but they do have more information, and if they do need to catch up, they can go grab that relevant information about what was going on with that sale or, or hey, what's uh, um, what's happening with this upset customer? Uh, and we can use that to be able to spread the the decision making and the authority closer to where it's best suited and where the decisions are are most. Um, smartest to make instead of having to centralize it all going into the uh, the top of the funnel and then back out
1: Mm, beautiful so when you were researching was there anything that surprised you or did you kind of was it all uh verified from what you've experienced in the people that you've worked with when you were researching you know such a broad range of you know thinkers around the future of work was there anything that surprised you one hypothesis I've been trying to
3: disprove for the last five or six years um, is that um, creating more participatory um, organizing structures actually isn't possible unless the person that's sitting on top of that pyramid uh w- wants not only wants it to happen, but is willing to participate in the transformation. Mm. Um, you know, you can make little interventions and in little silos or sashimi slices of the organization um, if, uh, you know, a particular department wants to do it. But if you're really looking for for transformational change, the leader has to want it with every molecule in his or, his or her body. Unfortunately, that's not a hypothesis we've been able to disprove.
2: That one's a... Um- a sad one. I was on on a on a different frame. Like we interviewed fairly radical companies, right? Uh, as Susan was talking about, we are we're looking for companies that were radically participatory, self organizing, self managing, like that that very bleeding edge of uh, the uh, the the back, and so many of the practices are applicable across wide ranges, right? But what was most interesting to me was how so many of them had tried to follow the template of somebody else mm. and quickly realized that they needed to to do something different and make it their own. Either they needed to toss it out. Some tried several, two, three, four different uh, scaffolding frameworks uh, from holacracy to sociocracy uh, to the... Um, uh, the, the teams that uh, Spotify uses, and none of them work when you transplant the whole structure from one organization to another. You've got to find out the way that it works for your particular group of people in, uh, in the, the company that you're at, which is just fascinating. I thought there'd be more commonality across what worked.
1: Great. That's an an interesting insight, I suppose. And then it becomes an iterative approach that we have to kind of like, let's have a go at this and see whether or not, and then have the flexibility to then um, use what's not working or what's working and then transfer it into another way of operating. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm still thinking about your comments, Susan, about, and we we know this too, and it can be very depressing when you think, you know, here we have somebody who has so much power in the organisation and isn't willing or open or doesn't have the self-awareness required to, you know, um, facilitate the change that the organisation needs. And so sometimes we find that, that people at the next layer down, the people leaders, um, you know, have the motivation and the vision. What are some um, skills, tips, ideas that they could use to uh, influence? Because sometimes it's just that um, they've made an assumption that the leader's not interested or maybe they're right, the, the leader's too focused on something else to, you know, help them facilitate this change. What are some ideas or strategies that people could adopt, people, leaders who are um, trying to create change within the organisation?
3: You, you know, I, I think, don't get me wrong, right, p- p- people at any level can um, start building their muscles around these practices, um, either as an individual or within, within their teams. And, um, you know, creating these outlier teams of uh, high performance and high trust in the organization is something that, uh, that you know, the, the hierarchy is going to have to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point, um, either that person at the top is going to have to go or is going to have to open their eyes. Yeah. And I, I think that that really you can create the conditions for a number of people in the organization to be having a great time and practicing. But, yeah, unfortunately, I think that um, there comes a, um, a point where either um, the hierarchy changes or the hierarchy changes. Changes, yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
2: And there's, like, an interesting thing because often – some people at the top are enacting patterns because they believe that this what is what's working well, and they may be missing the data that's in their life that goes counter that, right? They've turned a, a blind eye to it for so long that it's become a blind spot. Yeah. And they don't realise they're hurting themselves mm-hmm. in the, uh, and, the path that they're going.
1: Yeah, and what we notice is the higher up the, the chain you go, the less feedback leaders get. And and they have to be very vigilant and motivated to get that feedback because people, you know, it does create a lot of courage. Like you do need a lot of courage in order to give more senior people feedback in an organisation. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that is, yeah, it's a real opportunity, isn't it? Mm. Um, we were having a conversation with a group of mentors the other day um, who mainly are CEOs And leaders of organisations and they found that the biggest challenge for them is to be visionary because they're um, required to stay on course and you know grow and get bigger however you know there is this focus on you know being a little bit you know uh, not so much risk averse but focusing on what's in front of them as opposed to having a really um, you know, like broad vision, and this is the the um, the challenge that a lot of leaders, I think, find themselves in. Did you get that sense? Or I think I think that that this is maybe
3: why we um, started the book with the the different dimensions of leadership. Uh, I think that sometimes the role of CEO COO is like an arbitrary amalgamation of different types of jobs that that just have got lumped into this one job title. But there's nothing that says that they they can't be um, decoupled, right? So the idea of somebody that's focused on the day-to-day transactional hitting the numbers needs to be the role of a CEO. It might be in your organization. It might not be. Equally, the role of the visionary could be um, distributed and decentralized um, across two or three different people. I think that the great opportunity is really to take a step back and notice what uh, roles are needed in the organization and really interrogate, does it make sense that the way that we've currently got them, um, you know, squished together in uh, uh, in a particular job title? Wonderful.
2: I, I also get curious because there's a lot of assumptions about what a good company is for everybody involved, like especially around growth, right? People assume if you're in a, a high position, well, clearly my job is to to drive growth. But what if that's not what the organization needs or, or what the market's really asking for? Um, there's That assumption never gets tested and say, mm-hmm. like, well, do, do our board members actually care about growth above the other people in the organization? Does the, the market want that? Because so if you can frame a vision that goes and serves the, the bigger purpose of the organization that doesn't necessarily derive from only growth at all costs, and there might be so many more possibilities that are... Uh, around and available to choose from.
1: Wonderful. Well, this has been such a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. I've had, you know, I've been taking um, some notes here. And uh, for me, the bi- you know, some of the biggest takeaways is this um, notion around curiosity, like to really embed it in the way in which we operate. And um, the other one was give people more context because people really want to be in the know. And The other one that I really liked, I think that you mentioned, Susan, was, you know, um, the invitation to a conversation. You know, like people want to have that um, authentic to and fro, you know, um, that open, free-flowing conversation, independent of the hierarchy or whether or not you're a leader, just that they want to kind of, um, yeah, be invested before we wrap up, I would love for you to um, either list out or, or share what are the six necessary roles. Because if I was listening to this podcast, um, that's exactly what I'd want to know and walk away with, so that uh, you know today I could start to think about, ooh, am I what role am I playing?
2: <laughs> um, well, so so one, I'll jump in on the uh, the first three, and uh, let uh, Susan talk about the uh, the last three. Uh, first one is space holder, right? So it's often a uh, underappreciated under role, but it's the one, the person that's creating the opportunity for others to interact, right? Often the, uh, the, the visionary is the one that's one that often that's not recognized. Um, related to that is the purpose center or the, the strategist, or could be also the, uh, the visionary as Jan, you were talking about before. And then we we talked a little bit about the the communication orchestrator and figuring out who's uh, chatting with with who. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, culture steward is next. So um, we've got a really strong belief that culture is not something that you that you can mandate, but culture is something that emerges that you start to notice. So really paying attention to the culture and keeping it, keeping it healthy and keeping it, keeping it fed and, and allowing it to feed the organization. Resource balancer and role design coach. Um, we talked a little bit earlier around uh, clair- role clarity is one of the most common um, needs expressed by people in organizations. And uh, the leader really needs to make sure that those, those both the roles and the boundaries around the roles are, are made crystal clear. And then the, the organization protector and the greater boundary holder, right, is understanding and, and being able to have that um, individual and collective reflective practice to really notice what the organization is saying, what's emerging, what, uh, what, are, what are you noticing about it, and to be in that uh, kind of position of stewardship of the whole.
1: Fabulous. Fabulous, fabulous, flat, fabulous. Uh, so, if people wanted to get a hold of your book, how would they do that?
3: So, uh, at all good booksellers online um, or our website, LeadTogether.co. Uh, that our website also has a plethora of additional resources, heaps of blogs, um, videos of uh, us co-authors discussing each chapter in detail uh and and much more
1: oh wonderful and we'll have a link in our blog as well to your website and also to your book League. together the bold brave intentional path to scaling your business well done uh susan and travis it's a um yeah such an achievement and thank you for being on our podcast thanks for having us it's been great okay
3: thank
2: you it's been incredible
1: Bye. bye bye
2: bye We hope
0: you enjoyed today's episode of the People Leaders Podcast. For show notes and other resources, please visit us at peopleleaderspodcast.com. While you're there, you can subscribe for future episodes so you can continue your own leadership journey. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. The People Leaders Podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.